Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives So much fun today Jocelyn Rivas, this woman is incredible the youngest woman in history to finish, to complete 100 marathons. She completed, oh my God, it's just absolutely incredible. Guinness Book of World's Record Holder. This is just incredible stuff. I couldn't wait to talk to Jocelyn. She has overcome a lot of hurdles. She is remarkable. And yet, as is kind of per usual with people who overcome so many hurdles in their lives, she's just just a constant flow of positive energy, and she brings it all throughout this episode. This was just an absolutely super enjoyable conversation, and it, I didn't want to. I didn't want to end the call. Frankly, I actually stayed on the phone for like another forty minutes after the podcast ended because uh, she is just such a delight, uh, and I just had so much fun with this episode. Before we get into it, I do want to give a shout out to the Eugene Marathon. If you were paying attention today, Houston Marathon happened today. It was super exciting. And it just goes to show you, you don't need to be at a World Marathon major to have unbelievable performances, fantastic atmosphere, and just a remarkable um, experience overall. And that's exactly what the Eugene Marathon provides. I am so excited to go there. Almost 30% of people who run there qualify for Boston, which is an insane stat when you consider that if you qualify for Boston, you're probably not running Eugene Marathon the next year because you're going to be running Boston because this baby is on May 1st and Boston's always around April 15th. So what does that mean for you? It means you should head to Eugene. You can fly right into the city and have just an unbelievable time. I cannot wait to be there myself. I'm going to be running the marathon and I am just super excited. So join me. Go to eugenemarathon.com today and register. You got the they got the marathon, they got the half marathon as well, which is also super popular and I just I can't wait. I'm training every day now. You know, well, you know, one day we can take a rest day, but I am just really excited for this and it's just it's a it's a well-known marathon, has a ton of history and we're going to be finishing at Hayward Field. That's right. Hayward Field. Can you do it? Can you believe it? Let's do it, baby. Let's all sign up for this sucker. I can't wait. Now, let's get into it with Jocelyn Rivas. Jocelyn Rivas, thank you so much for coming on the Rambling Runner podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to talk to you. Well, this is a long time coming, and it's all my fault. <laughs> like, like all things that are wrong in my life. It's all my fault because I was supposed to interview you the weekend at the California International Marathon. So the weekend of December 4th, that was the plan. Ended up being a very, very hectic weekend. Uh, so that didn't end up happening. It was supposed to be in person, which I can't even remember the last time I did one of those. Um, but here we are, January, is it January 13th? Yep. Six weeks later, but we're, we're making it happen. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Definitely. Yeah. I was like, what happened? What happened to the whole podcast? I was like, oh, well, next time. Next time. <laughs> oh, Matt. Oh, Matt. I went off a little bit, a little bit more than I could chew that weekend. <laughs> that I think for so. Sure. <laughs> that was for sure. And not just the marathon, which was, which was more than I could chew as well. Uh, not more than you could chew, however, because you are crushing it. So, before we're gonna we're gonna touch on so many things today. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Before we do, though, I do need you to just tell the tell the the the, the podcast community, tell the listeners the Guinness Book of World Records record that you set because we're we have to start there. It's the only place to start. Okay, yeah. So I broke the record for the youngest woman to run 100 marathons, and also the world record for the youngest Latina to run 100 marathons as well. Simply amazing. Um, and that is and that is just like the youngest person to do it. This isn't like the youngest to do it like in a year or over a certain time frame. It's just the youngest person to do it for like 100 marathons in their running career. Correct. Yeah, the youngest person. Correct. That is so, so cool. All right. So before we get in, there's so, again, there's so many jumping off points. So I was like sitting here <laughs> like, all right, where are we going to start? Okay, let's start with, let's start with, a place that we've never started with anybody on this podcast ever. We're going to start. We would say let's start from the beginning. Usually that's not quite the beginning. We're going to really start the beginning with you. Let's talk about 
your birth, which I know people are like, what the hell, Matt? Why are we talking about Jocelyn's birth? Because this is relevant. Talk about what happened with you in terms of your physical, I guess, capabilities um, when, when your mom gave birth to you. Yeah, so from how my mom tells me, uh, she tells me that I was born with a broken back, neck and feet. Um, you know, she had just given birth and then uh, the doctors tell her that news and she was obviously in shock. She definitely was like not prepared. And I spent the first couple years, you know, going in and out of the hospital every single week. Um, and every single time, um, it was more like, you know, most likely she's not going to be able to walk. Most likely uh, her body's just not getting any better. Um, and if she does, uh, by any chance, go ahead and, you know, her body gets back together. Like she's always not going to be able to do, you know, physical activity. And obviously my mom was just like, what are you going to do about it? But then six months, six months, she said like into it, she started seeing like better development in me. And then like a year and a half in, um, that's when like my body started getting back together. Right. However, this didn't just happen on its own. Let's talk about what your mom and the doctors had to do during those times to help facilitate that, that healing process. Yeah. So it was a lot of physical therapy. That was a lot of it. Also, um, you know, most times when like a newborn is born, you carry them with your arms. My mom couldn't carry me with her arms. She had to carry me with the pillow. And that was so you could, like essentially so it could help my back because my back was the part that was kind of like very destroyed. My mom says, and essentially every single time someone had to carry me, they had to carry me with the pillow. The only thing though is she says I used to cry a lot, a lot with the pillow. And so she would take the pillow out sometimes. And she knew that was bad, but she was also tired of, you know, hearing me cry. <laughs> yeah. Parents parents around the world are hearing that. Be like, yes, I would have done the same thing. A crying, a crying newborn is just tough, man. It is tough. Um, and it's not as if you guys live like next to the hospital, right? Correct. Yeah. It's not like that. Uh, I was born in Salvador. So it was the hospital, I think it was like in the capital. So my mom had to go in a bus and... She had to take me every once a week, and it took, I think, like, I forgot. I don't know if it was 45 minutes to an hour or an hour and a half. It was something around that range. Uh, I don't know exactly what time frame, but that was just one way, and then coming back the same way. But, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I don't remember any of this, though. So, yeah. This is true. Your mom sure sure does, though. <laughs> That's yeah. for sure. Um, so, the, obviously, you, you've, you've, you've heard her tell this story, and I'm sure many times over, um, you know, to, to learn this sort of thing. And just going back to, to that time, I can only imagine what it must have been like for your mom to go through this process. You know, having an infant is hard enough. Going through this whole process of the, the, the travel and the trying to stay optimistic and hoping that 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 the that the PT is even working, right? Because you mentioned like it took like eighteen months for it to really, you know, get, you know, hammer home. And it's easy for some of us to be like, oh, eighteen months. You know, that's not too long, but like. For you, that was like every day of your life for eighteen for eighteen months, and for your mom, the same thing. I can only imagine the the how that must have been a toll for her and someone who, as as we'll talk about later in this podcast, who has dedicated herself to her family in a couple of different ways. So, how has those injuries, if at all, affected you down the line? Like, has there been any lingering effects from from some of that uh, later in life? Yeah, it definitely has, you know, um, growing up, I mean, when I was here in the U.S., um, you know, I always had a lot of back pain, neck pain throughout my whole life. And I just thought, oh, it's normal. It's normal. Until one time my mom was like, no, it's not. You know, you were born with a broken back, neck and feet. Because every single morning I would just wake up and literally I was in so much pain, like tremendous pain. And I just didn't understand it. I was like, am I sleeping bad? We got several new beds nothing nothing was helping and then at the end um that's when my mom decided to tell me I think she was like in fear of telling me and but I was like no now 
it's more like, okay, it makes sense, you know, I just have to live with it. And later on, um, obviously, she was always that protective mom who wanted to be like, oh, don't do certain activities, prevent any further pain that you could have. And so I was always that girl who was always into school, academics, and never into sports, never. You would never see me like, you know, doing anything at all. And so... Yeah, you were saving yourself. You were, you were, you were, you were, you were, you were, this is a long taper getting ready for this. (laughs) That's a good way to see it. Definitely a good way to see it. But yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it was in 2013 when I was just like, I'm tired of limiting myself, you know, and not being able to do certain activities. I decided to go to the 2013 LA Marathon and I went to support a friend in mile 18, which is, you know, when you hit the wall sometimes. And I saw- For me, it's all the time. All the time. (laughs) You're like, (laughs) from mile one, I hit the wall. (laughs) Oh my. And so I went out and then I literally saw my friend and then I saw kids um, in LA. They have a program called Students Run LA where they allow middle school kids and high school kids run a marathon. And so you see people of super young age running. And then you also see people who are like 60 years old running. And literally that was the moment that inspired me. I saw like someone who was 60 with a kid right next to him that was probably like in middle school or high school. And I was like, like what's preventing me from being out there? Like really what is? And I was like, I'm going to run a marathon. And so that's how I got into myself, me wanting to run my first marathon. And, and what age were you then? I was 16 at that point. 16. All right. So so you're seeing people your age doing it. Correct. Yeah. Which obviously is, I mean, that's, that, that's, I mean, how, how can you not relate to that? So when your mom finally told you what just your physical condition was at birth and what, you know, what that process was like getting you back up to, to full strength or just kind of dealing with those, those maladies, did it start to like connect with you in terms of like, oh, no wonder she said this or did that or all these things that like maybe you didn't have an answer for, for like why she was being overprotective of you or uh, and things like that. Was it like a like an aha moment when that when she finally told you that story? Uh, yeah, it was I think I was eight years old. So I had already been dealing with a lot of pain. But at that point, I wasn't very like, you know, into sports yet. But it was like something that just I daily felt with you know every single day I normally tend to feel the pain like in the mornings and in the nights which is crazy because it's like during the day not so much but um you know sooner I'll tell you but basically (laughs) I'm like in my runs I end up finding out that you know I'm having pain while other kids are not having pain and so that's another thing that I realized in the like you know once I started training for my first marathon but yeah, I think it was just my mom was always trying to be protective the whole time, just like a parent, you know, obviously, I kind of rebel against that. And that was the reason why I also wanted to run my first marathon, because I wanted to prove to my mom that I could do it. She literally told me you cannot run a marathon. And you know, you have that inside of you, you're 16 years old, you're still a rebel. And you're like, I want to prove it wrong. And that was the best way to guarantee <laughs> that you would run a marathon. <laughs> Literally. If she was if she was like, I support this one hundred percent, you'd be like sixteen year old would be like, All right, I don't know. I don't know if this is a good idea anymore. <laughs> literally, literally. I'm telling you, I think that's the only way literally, she is the reason why I ran my first marathon and yeah, I mean, she made it possible. That's funny. Yeah, you know, it's it's so easy to grasp onto like naysayers, even if even if they're people that we love, right? And to and to, to use that as fuel. It's not the best long term fuel. But it's kind of like jet fuel. Like it works for a little bit. It's like a nice little sugar burst uh, of fuel as you get going. Um, I mean, shoot. And the fact that you had this discomfort your whole life, it's a little different than as if like you had kind of grown into it or an accident happened when, say, like your mom told you when you were eight, right? Like if you were eight and like then you got got banged around and fell out of something and hurt your back and you like remembered what it felt like to be healthy and now you remember what it feels like to how like how it feels to have an injury. Like for you, like this has always just been the reality of the situation. So I can totally understand why you were like, hey, stop treating me like I can't do this because for you, this has just always been normal. Yeah, 100%. You said it perfectly, honestly. It it was more like, I just felt like I could do this. And this is who I am. This is my body, you know. And at the end of the day, like, I felt like I was just like living in a lot of fear, 
you know? And I was just like tired of living in fear of, you know, what I could do. And I was just like, no, I'm gonna go for it. <laughs> All right. So you do want to go for it because all of a sudden you see these people who are running the marathon who are your age. It's this inspiring thing. Who cannot be inspired by something like that? At the same time, this is a pretty progressive program that you're talking about because for a lot of kids, a lot of kids that age, running a marathon just isn't something, forget about like it being popular. It's not even encouraged in the vast majority of places. So talk to me about not only what it was like to, you know, basically where you were from a physical standpoint in terms of like starting training, like how active were you as a kid? Were you running and stuff like that? But also what the support was like within the SRLA group that got you up and moving in an, in an arena, which is not exactly like, hey, teenagers, come one, come all to the marathon. <laughs> You're so funny. So yeah, definitely. I gotta say, you know, when I started with students from LA, at that point, I was a very kind of like, I ate a lot of junk food. I was, you know, I was a teenage girl. And literally, I was just like always eating hot Cheetos every single day, chips, soda. It, it was all bad stuff after school, you know? So you were just preparing for an ultra marathon because that's, <laughs> that's what you're going to see at every ultra marathon aid station. I know, which is crazy now that I think about it. But before it, I was, uh, you know, always eating whatever I wanted to eat. And then once I started with Students Born LA, the program itself, uh, my team consisted of 30 kids. And so each school had different, um, you know, amount of kids. And my school had 30. And yeah, we started training with one mile. I had only ran one mile, by the way, before. Because it's part of school, high school, you're supposed to run that one mile. And I... I even though I used to run that one mile, I loved running that one mile just so then I could be like the first girl to finish, you know? But it was just competition. It wasn't like because I enjoyed it. Is I was suffering out there, you know, but it was just like I can't imagine doing one mile to doing twenty-six. But luckily that program was very supportive. Um it had mentors, it had a coach, and literally they provided you with like running gear. They were sponsored by Nike, so they provided us, you know, a lot of running gear, shoes, gear, and uh they also provided us uh with the weight. Um basically you didn't have to pay for your races. So they had like a 5k, 10k, 15k, half two half marathons, and then 80 miles. You had to run the 80 miles in order to qualify to run the LA Marathon. So that was what the program consisted, and it was six-month training long. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a lot of work, <laughs> you know, especially as a high school kid. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, it sounds like a class, in a sense. <laughs> More than a class, yeah, it was really... <laughs> yeah, for, oh, God, for sure. All right, so, you know, the, the, I think the nice part about this is that, like, it's not like you had this running background at that age, right? There's plenty of 16-year-olds who are like, hey, I was on the middle school cross-country team. I was on the high school cross-country team. And maybe they're running 20 to 30 miles a week. So they have some sort of idea of what this kind of training would mean because they can compare it to training that they've already done. You were at a place kind of at the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you were an active kid, but really hadn't engaged in anything like this before. Do you think that your just kind of, um, and I don't mean this as a derogatory thing, but just like your ignorance to what this process would feel like was part of the reason that you were so excited about it. Because maybe if like, you know, like you couldn't compare it like to, to anything that you had done. And sometimes when we don't know what something's going to be like, it's easy to really get super excited because we really don't have any of the, we can't kind of foresee some of the hurdles that might be in our way. I, I really think, yeah, that was the way. For me, I think it was like, again, the fire that my mom gave me and it was just that fire to prove it wrong. I was super excited, obviously, to start training. I had friends who had already ran through the program. So I remember seeing them post about, oh, like, I did 80 miles. I was like, these people are crazy. Like, why are they doing that on a Saturday morning, you know? And I used to be that person who was always like, oh, I don't know how you do it. I could never. I was always that person. And obviously, when I started and I said, I'm going to do this, I'm a very stubborn person, super stubborn. And when I say I'm going to do something i'm just gonna do it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter how long it takes or what it takes i'm gonna do it and i think that really was you know my stubbornness and the willingness to just prove to my mom that i could do it and that was literally what took me you know just it was a, i mean you could say it was ignorance because <laughs> i obviously did not know 
what I was getting into. I I did not know. Let's go with naivete. That sounds probably a better <laughs> word. Um, so did your mom know that you were embarking on this or did you kind of hide it from her at, at certain points? Uh, I told her I was going to run it and you're not going to believe it, but like every single day we would fight about it. Every single day she would tell me like, stop. So it was a constant battle, not just with my body, but also having to hear her every single day tell me like, you got to stop. And obviously, in order for you to be part of this program, you, the parent has to sign the uh, basically the slip that says, oh, I give permission for my student to be part of this program. I, you know, a little rebel here. I collected a bunch of like, you know, like parent signatures like that my mom had to sign, like a lot of slips and literally just handed her like five of them. I'm like, oh, hey, mom, you got to sign all of them. Obviously, you know, she just went ahead and signed them all. Oh my and god! <laughs> obviously, she was like, "I didn't sign anything." I was like, "Well, I don't know, mom." <laughs> I didn't tell her. I didn't tell her. I didn't tell her until I had finished the marathon. Like, hey, you know, I, you actually signed the paper. You, you know, she thought this is so weird. Why is there a program like this and there's no way to sign? And I was like, I just wouldn't answer anything. You know, I wouldn't say anything. Oh, my God. All right. So you end up completing it, obviously. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and this is a lot of more marathons to come uh, in, in, in your history. So uh, once, once you do finish it, what did your mom come around or did that come did that happen later in life or has it never happened? Yeah, she she did come around at some point. You know, she was. I think, uh, well, in the first marathon when I was running it, it was mile 22. And I actually started thinking about her and I started crying. And I was like, oh, man, like she's literally the reason why I'm out here, you know, suffering. And then when I crossed that finish line to my first marathon, I was like, wow, I thought I was doing this to prove her wrong. But I ended up falling in love with running. And, you know, I soon as I crossed that finish line, as soon as I'm telling you, like a minute had just passed by and I was like, I want to run another one. That was like my instant thing. And even though I had suffered so much to get there that day, it was like 94 degrees or 95 degrees in LA. So it was a super hot one. And yeah. And I think after that, um, I told my mom, you know, like I'm going to do it next year. And she's like, here you go again. <laughs> and so obviously at some point I just kept going doing Every year, I would just do one. And so in 2017, that's when I decided to go for the record. And I I kind of didn't tell her. I was at that point, it was like, I was kind of like, you know, out of high school already. So I was like, this is my goal. Like, you know, if she agrees, did, oh well. Did she, did you know, did you know that you know, when you set the thing, when you set the the, the goal of I'm going to run 100 marathons, were you aware of the record? What was the process for you of finding out, like, if there was a record and what it would be and so on and so forth? So I actually heard about this uh, record, like, when I was in high school. But at that point, you know, I was a very sane person, a normal person. I was like, I'm not doing that. That's inspiring. Yeah, just your normal 16-year-old <laughs> running marathons. Yeah, just, just a normal person. <laughs> yeah, and I was I'm not doing that. But it was something where I remember seeing it. And in 2017, I was in a very dark place. I wasn't doing good in college. I was... Um, I'm a DACA recipient, so, you know, there was a chance of me being deported. So it was a lot of bad things happening. I had just had a breakup. So it was so many bad things. And I was in bed, stuck in bed. I was like, I cannot believe I let my life get to this point, you know? And I was just like, I need to find something that's going to help me get out of here. And I remember the 100 marathon record. At that point, I only knew about the record for the youngest Latina to run 100 marathons, which was set at 28 years old. And I was like, I think I could break it. So I'm like, that's how it starts this whole thing with you, that record. You, you only had 96 to go. <laughs> I, I think so. Yeah, I think at that point I had only done, I think I had only done six of them. Yeah, six. Oh, you've done six. Oh, it's 94 six. to go. <laughs> Rounding the corner. You're almost there. <laughs> Um, right. You mentioned, so, so you were at UCLA at the time and you are a DACA recipient. So, uh, you know, people might refer to that as, as, you know, a, a dreamer, right. If people aren't familiar with DACA. So when, let's just go back in time then, because you talked about it, like your mom obviously was, you know, someone who, you know, kind of pushed you in a way unknowingly, but <laughs> nevertheless pushed you into the first marathon. However, your mom, obviously, you know, we talked about what she did for you your first 
18 months in this world and living in El Salvador and, and going out of her way to you know make sure that you're getting the PT that you needed so that you could live a healthy and normal life to say nothing of the future successes from an athletic perspective. So if you wouldn't mind talking about what happened a few years later um, when she moved to the United States and what, what transpired for yourself. Yeah, so when my mom came and decided to come over, I was only two years and a half old. So she decides to leave three dollars behind in a Salvador with her mom, which is my grandma, and her dad, which is my grandpa. And she decides to come over. So then essentially, so she could provide a better life for us. Um, my mom tells it in the story as, you know, we, she didn't have food to feed us at that point. Like she had nothing. And she was like, she knew her sister was already in the U.S. and she was doing a lot better. And so she wanted that for herself, too. So she came to the U.S. and she started working and she was able to send us money. And then we're now doing a lot better, you know. Um, but that was the main reason she came here. She came here to go ahead and provide us like a better life. Then in when I was six years old, she decides to go ahead and bring us over, me and my sister. So... Obviously, when she leaves at two and a half, obviously, you know, when, when you're a kid at that age, you're familiar with who your parents are, but your memory hasn't fully formed yet. So as you got older, say you're four, you're five, you're six, were you aware that you were living with your grandma or were you just assuming at that point that that was your mom? Uh, I was assuming that that was my mom. I like my sisters would talk about this mom and I was like, I had no idea, you know? I always thought my grandma was my mom. Okay. All right. So what was the process by which your mom, who's at that point living in the U.S., you know, goes about trying to bring you uh, up to the States uh, with her? Yeah. So obviously she's not going to come in and take us, you know. Instead, what she does is she hires a coyote to bring us over. And the coyote is a woman and a guy. Uh, they're like a partner. And at the end of the day, uh, they just show up a random day literally in front of my house and they're like hey uh we're here to pick you up and then obviously my grandma had told me oh you're gonna go visit this one lady your mom at that point still I'm a kid I'm like but she's my mom you know like my grandma's my mom I was thinking like oh I was gonna go visit this one person you know and the person the coyote tells me oh you're never gonna see your grandma again and then I started crying <laughs> like a kid, you know, because that's my mom. And literally, uh, obviously, throughout the way, um, it was a 15-day period that it took for me to go I'm from El Salvador to the U.S. And I came through car. I came through buses. Um, I think horses, too. <laughs> but it was a different, you know, it was different transportation. And, yeah, it was, it was we went through Guatemala to Mexico. And, yeah, in Mexico, I learned how to eat a taco. Since I'm Salvadorian, I don't. I was eating it improperly. I was like kind of cutting the tortilla, and then getting the meat with my hand, essentially, like basically like a pupusa instead of like a taco. And you know, with the taco, you just lift the tortilla with the meat. And listen, my son is six right now. He has no idea how to eat taco. It's he'll sit at the table with all of us. We'll all be eating it. And he's like, he empties it and puts puts like salsa on it and he goes, look, I made a pizza. And then he like eats it in this really weird way. Listen, six-year-olds eating food is just, it's, it's a story in and of itself. Yeah. But the, the I mean, the crazy thing about here is that if they see you eating like you're not Mexican, they go ahead and say, uh, they kind of report you. And then, then we're oh. deported back to El Salvador. So essentially back to where we started. So oh, I, it's almost like having like the wrong accent. Like they can just pick up on it right away. Exactly. And I was in a restaurant, but yeah, that was just like part of the story. But yeah, I came through. Um, they passed me as a little boy. Uh, his name was Jose. And I have really, really short hair where I look like a boy. So that's how I was able to. I was able to do it, but I was asleep as I went through. Uh, it was through a car, and yeah, I went ahead, and I think like two hours later, I was in L.A. after crossing, and there we were like in a place, we were like in a house, and then they were waiting to hear from my mom to tell her, hey, do you have the other payment, the other half of the payment? And my mom was like, yeah, I have it. And so uh, they go ahead and meet up outside of McDonald's, and literally like, while we're waiting, they're like, hey, do you want some fries? And obviously, uh, they're speaking Spanish. And I was like, yeah, I'm hungry. 
And so the first meal I ever had here was, you know, McDonald's fries. And later on, my mom shows up. And at that point, they're like, hey, you could come out of the car. And they're like, just go to that lady down there. And she's your mom. And then I go to the lady because they're telling me, you know. Um, And then because I've been with these people for 15 days, so I kind of trust them already, you know. And so at the end, I end up going to her. And then she's like, oh, I'm your mom. And I just looked at her like really like kind of like confused or kind of like you're not my mom, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that was it. Oh, my gosh. All right. So you mentioned you have siblings. So were any of them in the U.S. or was this you were you going solo? I was the first one in. I I was going with my sister. But since she was older, she had like a different process. But um, yeah, so I was the first one in and then my sister came the next day and then one stayed behind um, and came later like two years later okay all right so 2017 right you're having a tough time it's not going well right we've all we've all been there those college days where it seems like (laughs) everything's everything is going wrong and yet it it gets amplified from there right let's talk about kind of the the last not the i I want to use the i don't even think i can't think of the correct metaphor so Pardon me, but what was the the ultimate springboard for you in terms of like, all right, it's one thing to be down in the dumps. It's one thing for things not to be going well. It's a totally different thing to say, you know what? I am going to set a Guinness Book of World Record. It's going to be incredibly tough. It's going to take many years, but I'm determined. So for you, what was the thing that pushed you from frustrated, sad, angry to unbelievably determined for a goal that you ended up achieving, which is just truly remarkable. I think the biggest thing here that I really, really, at that point I needed to get through was, you know, my deportation. I had kind of worked a lot, you know, through all these years, always being in school, doing extra stuff, going above and beyond, you could say, in academics. And I was just, I can't believe, you know, that I there is a chance of me getting deported and kind of losing everything, you know? I was very frustrated. And I was just like, I feel like people need to know more about dreamers, you know, who we are. And maybe they just don't know someone who's a dreamer, you know? And that was essentially my fire in the first 25 marathons, you could say. That was my fire. After my 25 marathon, I was like, okay, this is, even though like I really, really support this and this is my fight, I need like a stronger why, you know, because you're always asking yourself, what is your why? And I'm like, I need a stronger why. And I was like, I'm always going to be a dreamer or not always, but for now I'm a dreamer. So let me, let me find something else, a stronger why. And I remember, you know, growing up, I never had anyone to look up to, like in my community. And I was just like, you know what, I'll do this for women and girls in sports, you know, I really want to inspire other people to see that, or at least for them to experience what I experienced running my first marathon. I mean, because I feel like that was like what opened so many doors for me. I was able to see, wow, like I just ran 26.2 miles. And, you know, it felt amazing. It felt like the best feeling of my life. And I was just like, I want other people to feel this same thing that I felt. So that was more like it, you know, trying to inspire other people, but especially women and girls. And that became my wife for the rest of the 75 marathons. And then around that time, Jocelyn, obviously um, the DACA program was terminated. So what what effect did that have on you? As you mentioned, like you're there to try to inspire other people who were maybe in similar circumstances as you. All of a sudden, the program that had helped you um, earlier on all of a sudden is terminated. What did what if any effect did that have? So luckily, I was very lucky. I had just kind of renewed my permit. So you got to renew it every two years, and I think I had just had six months in. So I luckily was not a even though like I was affected, I still had like a year and a half where I could be here legally. And so uh, unfortunately, other people did not have the same luck as me. And obviously they lost their jobs. They lost everything. And it was a very sad moment. Uh, luckily, a judge came around and they went ahead and reopened it, meaning that you could renew it. And it allowed, I think it was like three months though where it was completely dead. And so obviously people lost their 
like they're working everything. But yeah, it was that time where I went ahead and um, I would say I was just very lucky to still be able to be here legally. If not, I would have been like, okay, <laughs> what am I going to do now? Oh, of course, of course. And a lot of people <laughs> were in that were in that situation, obviously. So, all right. It's one thing to say, I want to do this big, audacious goal. However, there was a time limit on your goal, right? You wanted to set a record, which has a time attached to it. So what was the like scheduling process for this? Like, Talk, talk to me about, and it might have changed over time, but over the, the next, I don't know, was it basically six years or so, what was the process for you in terms of the steps that you need to take, you know, day in and day out so that year in and year out, you were still on pace to get this. So since I started with the record for the youngest woman, my rec- the record I was going for was the youngest Latina to run 100 marathon, which is a world record. At that point, I had no idea about the Guinness world record. No idea. So oh. I was just running my typical, I think I was running six marathons in a year. You know, and <laughs> all right, can we just stop? <laughs> that's not people who are listening. She's saying typical for her. This is not normal running behavior. So you were at a point where you were already. This wasn't like when you were 16. You're like, I'm going to run a marathon basically on a lark. At this point, this is very normal behavior for you uh, in terms of running marathons very consistently. Okay, so this is, this, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, interesting, it's interesting note to make sure that we were kind of like, all right, where were you in the process at this point? Well, you're not going to believe it. The reason why I say typical is because later on, the amount went too high, like a lot more. So in 2019, the LA Marathon partners up with the Guinness World Record, and they find out, they had like a meeting and Guinness World Record tells them, hey, this girl is actually on pace to break the Guinness World Record if she goes ahead and increases her amount of marathons and obviously gets there before that certain age. At that time, I had no idea. But then the LA Marathon contacted me. They informed me. And it's like, once they tell you something, you're like, why not go for it? I'm already doing a hundred. You might as well break another record. And so that's when I find out about the Guinness World Record. And I go from running like, I think at that point I was only running 12 that year. I go from in 2018, I ran 12, I think. I go from running 12 to running 27 in a year. So I doubled it. And then the following year, I was planning to break it in uh, the beginning of, at the end of 2020. So I was going to do 52 marathons in 52 weeks. That was the plan, which was 2020. Obviously that plan did not happen because of COVID. I was only able to do 25. Let's talk about that. So, so when so all of a sudden the races are getting canceled, right? you have this grand plan. A lot of people are invested in you. They're excited for you. They're trying to help you. You're obviously super excited about this as well. All of a sudden, race after race after race, cancel, cancel, cancel. So what was the process at that point for you? Like, did like, what was, like, you were looking into the potential for what qualifies for a race and what doesn't. What did you learn about like virtual options or non-virtual options? What, what were some of the things that you learned uh, in 2020 about the steps you could take once all the races were taken off the table? Well, I kind of, since I had already started this whole, like you could say conversation with Guinness World Record, I had already known the rules. And so the rules was it had to be certified. It has to be an official race, meaning that anyone can register for the race. It also has to be like, um, what was the other one? It, it Basically, you have to have proof that you're there, but essentially it has to be an official race open to every single individual. Um, and at that point, I was just like, COVID happened. I ran the last, mar- my last marathon was LA Marathon. It was literally four days before California closed down, four days before, and Literally everything closes down and I was just like, oh, it's just going to be a couple weeks. We're only going to be. I'm, oh, the good canceled. old days. I remember that. I remember that feeling. <laughs> yeah. I literally thought, oh, you know, uh, maybe like, you know, a couple months, you know, by May, everything will be back to normal. Then May came through nothing. And I just kept hearing like, oh, no, it's going to be until fall or December where things might be better. And then at that point, I was just like, I'm back to that same feeling was, I was like, it's over. Like, 
I at that point I had done 56 marathons. So I was halfway, you could say halfway through. And I was just like, I cannot believe it. It's over for me. I was only able to do halfway. And so I, how much were you how much were you running during that time? I, I mean at that year was the year I was gonna do fifty two marathon fifty two weeks. Right. So but I mean I but what's really yeah, so once once they're like, all right, can't race. Maybe next season, maybe beginning of next year. Obviously, at that point, you're hoping and praying. But at the same time, like at some point, you also have to like maintain fitness because once these start coming up, like you want to attack this goal. So, just what was your? I guess how did you train? How did you run during 2020 when there were no races to do? Well, you're gonna be shocked, but I was actually by March I was kind of injured already, so I decided to take the time off completely off meaning not run anything at all because i thought it was just gonna be maybe two months max so i was like i'm gonna use this time to recover to do a lot of stretching you know strength like kind of get my body a lot stronger and obviously the two months passed by i was like oh no this is taking longer than i expected i'm like okay i'll give it another month of rest at the end, I ended up resting for four months. I was running typically like maybe like half marathons around like my neighborhood. At some point, I ran like a half marathon my background. I mean, backyard. And oh, <laughs> it was because at that point, I think like we couldn't even go outside to run. But it was just kind of like crazy. You know, you saw those people running like in their like in their apartments. It, I was like, it was one of I was one of those. Yeah, people. I interviewed one of those people. <laughs> crazy. She did like That's... a marathon like on her patio or something. It was like a, her balcony. Just running that, back and forth. That is crazy. Crazy. I, I had I have a pretty like big backyard. So you can say like I was kind of running, you know, consistently, but I was like, I don't know how the people did it. But anyways, I end up taking four months off and then then in um I end up joining Facebook, a Facebook group called Finding Marathons in the Pandemic. And then people start posting. It's a catchy about- title. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> people were deaf, so you're going to remember there's marathon maniacs, people who ran a marathon who every single, yeah. you know, weekend. Was it an international group? Like, were there people from, like, all over? Uh, I think it was internationally, yeah. and Or maybe it was just in the U.S., I think. But it was uh, finding marathons while in the pandemic. And then I think it was just the U.S., actually. Anyways, um, they post, someone decides to post a marathon and it says in the post that only a certain amount of people are allowed. And I think it was only 30 people. Oh, I just look at that marathon. I didn't even care where it was. I register. And I told my friend, hey, I'm going. Do you want to come with me? And, she's, and she was desperate too. We were desperate. We're like, we're going crazy at this point. And then she registers for the marathon. And I normally do my marathons, all my marathons. I had done them like in the uh, West Coast. So all of them were like in California. Oregon and Washington, that was it. And maybe one in Arizona and one in Nevada. But all of them were like in the West Coast. And this one was in Minnesota. So I had never even gone to the East Coast. So it was like a first time. Obviously, you know, when I posted about me going for this marathon, many people were like, don't do it. You know, like the pandemic's going on. You're going to get COVID. It was a lot of like people telling, this was the time where I probably got the most knows in my life people were telling me just to stop you know because after i found that marathon i found a couple more and so that's when i already know what you do when you hear no so (laughs) and so essentially these people were like no don't do it you gotta stop traveling because i mean i totally get it i was going from state to state essentially finding marathons and i was running them and I wasn't doing the whole quarantine where it's like 14 days. I think it was like you were supposed to stay at home or I think it was 10 days, but I was getting tested. So every single time I come back, I would get tested. And before I flew out, I would get tested. And so it was a lot of that daily. And at the end, you know, I I mean, I didn't get COVID luckily, but it was, um, yeah, I just, the states that were open were kind of like the most, dangerous states to visit because you know there are so many cases but at the end of the day I attended the race I ran the race I flew back and every weekend I I work Monday through Friday so every Friday night I would just leave and come back Sunday night oh my gosh grueling so when did 
it become clear to you that the COVID wasn't necessarily going to stop you from achieving this goal? Like, do you remember when it really started to crystallize for you that, okay, it's going to be tight, but I still have a chance? Yeah, you know what? That was it. Like you said it, like, it's going to be tight. My timeline was literally like, every time I would look at it, I was like, oh my God, I'm getting closer to that date. What am I going to do? And also the goal for my 100 was to finish where it all started, which was the LA Marathon. I wanted to kind of like end the cycle completely. And so LA was the place I wanted to finish it. So March 2021 was like, okay, that's going to be my goal. And then at the end of the day, LA Marathon decides to switch the date to November. And I was like, yes, I have more time. And so that's when it finally becomes like, you got to keep going. Like everything's working how it's supposed to now. Like now you just got to keep going. Like as soon as I heard like, oh, it's going to be November. That's when I was like, yeah, there's no way like I'm going to stop now. But it was very, I would say, um, when I was doing my first couple marathons, 56, um, I had just graduated college. And before then I was, you know, I was just like an intern, you know, getting paid like normally I do. Like normally, like, you know, I think it was just minimum wage and I was traveling in California, but now I was fine. I now have my career, but then now I'm traveling, staying in hotels, having to pay for flights because I used to just take bus or buses or like, you know, have certain people drive me to the race. So essentially I, I start now spending a lot more money, money I was not expecting to spend. And I was just like, oh my God, this is becoming a lot of money. <laughs> and so at that point, I was just like, I think that was another thing that kind of like helped me more. Like I have spent so much money. I got to make it some way or another. I have to make it. Oh my God. All right. So what was the frequency, right? You talked before, like you were originally were going to try to do before COVID hit 52 and 52. So what was the frequency that you had to do in order to make LA in November Race number 100. So in 2020, instead of doing the 52, I ended up doing 27. Uh, at that point, it was like getting as much marathons as I can. That wasn't me planning the marathons at that point. I was literally going ahead and registering for a marathon the week of or the two weeks before because many marathons were open and they were letting people sign up and then they were canceling the marathon. So I was losing more money because I had already paid for some races and so I was losing even more money so I was just like I can't do this anymore uh they were like oh yeah we'll defer it and I'm like but I don't need this marathon like you know for 2022. I'm not coming back I'm not yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah I was just like, like I'm sorry was... St. Paul but I'm not coming back if I don't if I, once I reach 100 yeah, <laughs> yeah I was kind of like I was it was very stressful honestly very stressful because I was just trying to find marathons, but I was also trying to play smart and find a way to get those marathons. And, you know, there was many marathons where I signed up maybe like two weeks before and still they got canceled. And so there was always that in mind. But luckily, 2020, I did 25, I think. And then the next year, I think I did, which the next year would be 2021, right? Yeah. So I think in 2021, I did the remaining, which I think was like 20, wait, 2021, I did 40. My bad. Yeah, I did 40 marathons. Yeah. All right. So still obviously a lot, (laughs) a a lot, a lot of marathons um, because you want to finish November. So it's not like you can't even take advantage of December at this point. Right. So um, I will and we'll get into what you did in December. Uh, oh. A little bit, but um, so just a remarkable achievement. Holy cow! And then all of a sudden, it's not just hey, you're doing this amazing thing, and the people who know you know, when there's some people who follow you on social media who know, all of a sudden, forget social media, like big time media, all of a sudden is finding out, right? All of a sudden, you're on ESPN.com, and there's this long feature story that. I mean, how many amateur runners can say they've had one of those? Even professional runners don't get feature stories of that length by those kinds of publications and and major media websites. So what was that like when all of a sudden this amazing venture, adventure that you were on, became something that not just some people knew about, but then seemingly everyone knew about? 
Yeah, I I think uh, first of all, you know, it was I think it it came out like the whole plan was for the article to come out like the week of the LA Marathon, you know, and you know the days kept passing by. They're like, oh, we're still like certifying certain things here and there. Like they need to make sure that everything's one hundred percent correct. And I was like, that's totally okay. And then I think it was published like on Wednesday, and out of nowhere, I just get a bunch of tags, and then I see like. A bunch of more followers I see everything going crazy and like you know people tagging me and I I literally wake up kind of late I'm that person who wakes up like around eight in the morning 8 30 maybe nine that day I think I, I decided to wake up like at 9 30 and then <laughs> I was like what is going on here you know I, I was actually like I think I was still working that day and I decided to just go straight and start working without even looking at my phone and then when I opened my phone, then I see everything. And I was like, I didn't even get a chance to read the article because I was obviously working. But yeah, later on, like during my lunch, I was able to read it, but which which was nice. But it was basically, I think, uh, uh, I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, it was the person who reached out to me was someone who ha- who I previously had talked to uh, during the pandemic. And so he remembered my story. And he's like, I'm going to pitch it out to ESPN. He's like, let me see what they say. And then he tells me, oh, ESPN uh, are interested in your story. And just, I know I should know what ESPN is. At that point, I did not know what ESPN was. And so I was just like, okay, like, that's just another, like, another article. You know, like, I didn't think much about it until later on I realized what ESPN was. So I was like, okay, (laughs) I understand. Oh my gosh, how funny. Yeah, all of a sudden your phone is like melting in your hand because everyone's reaching out to you after your your story comes out and it's truly remarkable. And then a few days later, you're at the LA Marathon, you get the record. I mean, what an enormous thing. What was it like? Was it, did it have like a culmination type feeling for you? Or what was it like to, to finally reach this goal that you've put so much mental, emotional and physical, you know, time into? I think, you know, that morning I woke up and I was just like, I cannot believe today's a day. I cannot believe it. I, I think I was like, I was even throughout the weekend, like in the expo, so many exciting things happened. Like they let me cut the ribbon. So I was already feeling like a lot of emotions. Um, That was on Friday for the expo. I was supposed to do the 5K, which is part of the challenge, but so many things were like happening in my mind. I was planning so many things. I was having so many interviews like back to back. And I was just like, I just can't like, I, I literally was going, I was going to sleep at two in the morning, Friday, well, Saturday morning. And I was like, I'm going to try to wake up for the 5k, which was, I was supposed to be up at six. So literally only four hours of sleep. And I'd done that many times. And then I woke up and I was just like, I really want to enjoy this time. I really do. And so I was like, you know what? I think the best thing here to do is not to do the 5K. So I end up not showing up to the 5K. I missed a couple interviews and I was just like, I got to put my mental health first because many things were going on and you got to realize I am a normal person who was just working that week too. And at the same time, like I don't have a manager. I don't have anyone. I do everything myself. And so at that point, it was like, I just... I was getting so many messages, so many things. And I was just like, I can't do everything. Like, I'm going to have to say no to certain things, you know? And luckily, though, that day I show up still to the expo because I'm that person who wants to experience still the expo as a regular person. On Friday, I went more like as a media thing. And on Saturday, I always go every Saturday. And so it's like a tradition to to go on Saturdays. And so I went, I enjoyed it, took photos of me in the expo, kind of like taking it all in, you know? Absolutely. And getting ready for the next day. And then I end up showing, I mean, I end up waking up the next day and, you know, I was just like in disbelief. I was like, today's the day. And I was like, I hope I finish. <laughs> That was my biggest worry because I was like, what if I don't finish, you know? And luckily I finished, but that day um, I woke up, went to the um, race. I got there. Uh, People were like already interviewing me like in the beginning of it. And then I I was just getting ready. And 
um, yeah, there was just like the community was there, took pictures with them, talked with them. And I was like, as I was walking, like they just kept announcing me like, oh, today, Jocelyn and Vivas will break the record. And it was so many things going on. And I was rushing to one interview with KTLA and they were not letting me through the gates because I didn't have Corral A. I had Corral B. I decided not to go with Corral A because, I mean, those are the elites. I'm not, I'm not trying to be with the elites or like with the fast group. I'm trying to be with the group I'm supposed to be in. And so I decided to stay in Karabi. Anyways, I do the interview. And then once I'm done with the interview, I start, well, I go back to my corral. And then that's when it starts hitting me, when I see the start line. And then they're like, only like a minute until the start line. And everyone just starts running. And I was like, oh my God. I'm here. It was uh, very emotional. I started crying already, you know, by the start line. <laughs> was and it just like a was it just like a 26 mile celebration for you? Uh, yeah, it was. You know, I was the my I really wanted a lot of things to happen on that day. One of the things I wanted to do also was I wanted to run the marathon with someone who had never ran a marathon. So I was running with a group of people who had never ran a marathon, which were all girls, and it was like four or five of them. And I knew I was going to lose some of them, like, you know, while I was running. I, I accepted that. I was like, but I hope one of them finishes with me. And it was a celebration. Uh, obviously, as I was running, they're like, oh, my God, that's Jocelyn. That's Jocelyn. And so throughout the whole marathon, I just kept taking pictures. <laughs> it was a lot of pictures, seeing a lot of people, a lot of friends come out and cheer. And it was truly like a celebration, you know. It was enjoyable. I even leave the not. Okay, maybe a mile 22, I was suffering, but besides everything else, I really enjoyed it. And luckily, one of the girls I, ran, I started with, she was able to keep up, who had never ran a marathon, who was my friend. And it was like the mission was complete. You know, when I crossed that finish line, I was finishing with someone who had never ran a marathon, which was part of like my mission was to inspire someone to run a marathon, at least one person, you know? And I was, it just I went, it went full circle. How how poetic! <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, when things started getting together, I was just like, it has to happen one way or another. And you're not gonna believe it, but before I got to 100, I was having a lot of pressure because I shared my last 10 marathons, and after I shared it, all of them started canceling. I was already in 91. And there was only a certain amount of time to the LA Marathon. And they started canceling. I think I had like four of them who canceled. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm in trouble. I am in trouble. Like I am gonna, I'm not gonna make LA my 100. And so you could say the first, like the 90s, like when I was from 90 to 100, those were probably the most stressful time I've ever been. Um, just trying to get to LA to be 100. But yeah, when I crossed that finish line, I I think everything came in my head with all my sacrifices, everything, all the pains, all the injuries, all the times I thought I couldn't do it. I was just like, I did it. And I literally, in my head, I was screaming, I did it. And I crossed that finish line. They had a ribbon and they're like, oh, like, you know, pick up the ribbon. But it was really an amazing moment because I also had my mom there. And for those that don't know, my mom has only seen me run a marathon once, once out of the 100, which was marathon number two. And then, so this was like her second time seeing me ever run in a marathon, you know? So it was very special. Oh, God. I mean, how could it not be? This is truly <laughs> remarkable. You mentioned there were plenty of times that you weren't sure you're going to do this. And it wasn't just because of COVID, right? There, I'm sure there are plenty of other you know, physical things and just like, hey, this is a huge physical, emotional, and mental undertaking. And nothing like that happens easily. And it's never a linear path. However, you were in a unique position that most people will never get to. Like you, you accomplished something that most people can't even wrap their head around. And whether it's running, any other sport, or maybe not even in sports at all. Right, it can be a completely different kind of activity that's not related to athletics in any way, shape, or form. When we see people who do something, do the impossible, it is so inspiring. So, Jocelyn, when you hear people 
doubt themselves or say that they can't do something. And it's not something like, hey, I can't jump over my house. Well, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> like something that's something that is maybe extremely difficult, but that you personally view it as not an impossibility. What are some of the things that either you like to say to those people or that you wish you, you the, the things that you think in those moments that you want to express to them about what their view of impossible is and what you have experienced and what you actually know is kind of the, the boundless, um, I guess, the boundless potential that, that people have. I think here the biggest thing would be, you know, uh, for me, it was literally believing in myself, you know, and I think that's one thing that we kind of take lightly. Like, I believe in myself and this goal might seem crazy, impossible, but when you believe in yourself, I feel like a lot of things work in your way. But another thing that really is, I think, key is, like, I always say this, the only person that can stop you is you. You are literally the only person. And I think I always had that mentality that if I wanted something, I could do it. You know, it doesn't matter how hard, how impossible it might seem. doesn't matter if literally it doesn't even seem like it's going to happen. I... I was always in that mindset, like, the only person that could stop you is you. So what I would tell to those people is literally, like, it's okay to be like, oh, this is crazy. Like, I can't do this. It's 100% like they're, it's 100% valid, you know, to feel that way. But at some point, like, if you really believe in yourself, then you start really seeing that everything is possible. Literally, you might think you might not be able to run 26.2 miles, and it might be true. You might not be able to run the whole 26.2 miles, but you can run, walk, run, walk, and you'll get there. So, you know, the method is always different for everyone. And I think we got to respect every single method on how to get to that goal. Not everyone's going to get to that goal the same way. And I think that's one thing where people always think that when it comes to 26.2 miles, they have this thing that we're running the whole 26.2 miles, which a lot of people do. I personally sometimes, you know, stop, take my water breaks, take pictures. And so, you know, that's just one thing I will share with everyone, you know, when they don't think they can run a marathon, like you can run a marathon. Man, and, and, and you know, this is a great example. I mean, you ran, you know, as a teenager, you ran a 430 marathon, one of your first marathons ever. And obviously you become more fit. But if you're running 40 marathons in a year... Taking your time is probably a good move, <laughs> not to try to set a PR at every time you step to the starting line. And then just to reiterate, and this is why we had such a kind of drawn out part of the, the this episode in the beginning was to set the stage because you were born with a broken body, literally, in three different places, your feet, your back, and your neck. You had challenges at various points in your life, challenges that many other people did not have not had to go through. And yet here you are doing something that no woman has ever done before. It is just the definition of remarkable. And Jocelyn, thank you so much for sharing some of the story with us today. And let me just say, you crossed that finish line in LA. So you're done with running now? Just done? Or was there something else that you wanted to oh. get off your chest? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i mean i did what say i am after no i after the marathon after la i decided to do one of my favorite marathons revel big bear which was uh, literally like six days after and i ended up running my fastest time which for the year for the year which was 420 obviously not fast to some people which is okay but it was my fastest for the year and i ended up doing cim the following week and i was just like I'm taking some time off and here I am again, not being able to be okay with recovering and taking time off. And then I hear, um, no, I did not hear. I remember, you know, this challenge of running eight marathons in eight days in Florida. The prior year I did do it. I did six marathons in nine days. So I wasn't able to complete the challenge. And so I was just like, why not go for it? You know, I have a couple of days off. I could work, I could run a marathon and then go to work for the days I have to work in the holidays. And so I end up taking a flight and I share on Instagram, I'm going to attempt to run eight marathons in eight days. Because why not? 
Right. I <laughs> mean, not? why not? Just why? Why not? Uh, we had Nikki Cannon on the episode uh, on the podcast last week, who's in the midst of trying to do forty in forty days, and you know she's going to be in, in Houston. She's a Houston resident, but at, you know at the Houston Marathon, just like you, like her hometown marathon, wants to end her journey there, just like you did with the LA. Um, good luck to her. I know you saw that that post as well, and you commented on it. And um, you guys are kindred spirits in a way. Um, Jocelyn, man, thank you so much. This has been absolutely phenomenal. Thank you so much for coming on the show. No, thank you for having me. I really had a lot of fun talking with you. You are very funny. Jocelyn, thank you so much for coming on the show. I told you in the intro, I told you this one was going to be special. My goodness, this woman, can you believe it? She is just, just the best. She's the best. She, she, the whole conversation we had today, she had a huge smile on her face and it was like just being in her presence, even virtually, you know, over, you know, I use Riverside FM to record these suckers. Just seeing her on the screen, it, like, it just made me so happy. Just, just seeing how happy she was and her positive energy. And I hope you could feel that in this episode because I was privileged enough to feel it um, just recording it with her. She is just a remarkable person. There is no question about it. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Also, head over to the YouTube channel, YouTube Shoe Reviews. I'm loving those. Uh, I just put one out last week, which was really, really fun. I'm going to put another one this week as well. And my special little lobster mittens, which if you see me on Instagram, I've been rocking those in the, you know, when the weather gets down to like zero degrees, <laughs> getting the, get the Pearl Izumi lobster mittens coming out. Get that review up there as well. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.